welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggles of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Liz Manischel. And I'm Mark Brissell. We're live recording from Napa Valley Film Festival. Ulrich is... Ulrich, are you in Oakland? Where are you? Yeah, I'm in Oakland. I couldn't make it because I have a test shoot for my film today. But uh, so you guys are at, at Napa Valley. So Bianca Maria, you know, Bianca's never been on the show before, though, right? This is the first time I'm making movies this hard. Is that right? That's right. Welcome. Too, yeah, delayed. Belated <laughs> intro to the show. Yeah. Uh, I know that. We should probably intro both of yeah, you before we actually thinking. get going. <laughs> Can you each introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Maria Maya. I am the writer-director of Brand me an avocado and a veteran of making movies is hard can i call myself a veteran art Ulrich? yeah definitely <laughs> and uh maybe future co-host at some point if we can convince you to guest co-host on the show really? and that would be really fun on the spot live <laughs> <laughs> absolutely solid maybe <laughs> yeah hold your principles close <laughs> Yeah, I am Bianca B. Rudy, the producer of Bring Me an Avocado and also an associate producer on The Alternate and first time guest on Making Movies is Hard. Which is amazing. Thank you. Thank you for being here in the in the early morning. Thank you for being here in general in life because you're both so lovely. We were just gushing, Ulrich, about how amazing this festival is. And for someone who is just so incredibly cynical about her film festival run, I'm rejuvenated by this film festival. And I wondered if we could just talk about just briefly about your experience at the festival so far. This festival? This Napa Valley Film Festival. Blown out of the goddamn water. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is amazing. It is an amazing Shot. festival. Yeah. So well organized. So much, so many bonding opportunities, so well fed, the screening so well attended. Yeah. Anything to add? <laughs> and yeah, the people who've been running the show have just been absolutely lovely and I can't say enough good things about it. And we're not being paid. I mean, we are being given coffee and snacks and this warm room on a cold day, but like we don't, we could talk shit about this festival if we wanted to. I just want to make that clear. It sounds like we're shills for Napa Valley Film Just Trojan right horse now. style. Be like, we're just going to use your space and talk shit about you. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, I'm curious. So when, when did you all arrive at the festival? So Bianca and I are part of the artist in residency program. So we arrived Tuesday for a Meet the Filmmakers wow thing mm -hmm. and, and, and what is and what does that mean to be part of the residency program so we've had like master classes in the mornings um there's been panels and keynotes and industry mixers that we participated in every day we have like an itinerary at the festival <laughs> like where to be That's hour awesome. to hour to hour which is honestly my favorite way of doing festivals because usually i'm just like floundering you know right they yeah. schedule you in there i mean i was talking to joni who's i guess helping support y'all in your program and she was saying they're trying to make it or it's trying it's modeled after like the sundance labs and that was the idea and then where you were you staying at the hotel where I met you guys the other day? Yeah. This is a badass hotel. This was a gorgeous resort. In, it's insane. In Meadow Wood. Meadowood. Yeah. Meadowood. Yeah. yeah. Ulrich, you're missing out. Like, let's just make him feel bad. Aw. <laughs> <laughs> And so did you get part of the program? Are you, is your hotel being covered uh, yeah. during your stay? We're, oh, yeah, wow. we're being hosted there. And it's like, it's an insane, I mean, I was like looking at prices and it's like $500 a room. Wow. Yeah. We haven't eaten. There was a night where we we're like, we'll get room service. And then we just didn't eat because it was like $50 for a burger. <laughs> we're like, we'll eat tomorrow. <laughs> then plus delivery and, and all that fun Disney. stuff. Just skip dinner all together. <laughs> so why did you decide to come to Napa, though? Like, why this festival? And like, how does it fall into your general release and festival schedule? Why did you target it? And what are you using it for? 
One of our leads, Sarah Burkhalter, who plays Robin in the film, had actually been here with a short before. Mm. And she raved about it, like raved, raved, raved about it and how much she wanted to come here, which is how we originally included it in our run. Now she's like, has a fresh baby, fresh, very fresh out of the oven. So she couldn't make it. She's in New York with the fresh baby Um, and having severe FOMO, you know, watching all of our posts and stuff. But that's how we included it. And right now we premiered in March. So I want to say that This is kind of like, we just started applying internationally to international festivals. I don't know why we decided to (laughs) space it out that way. But I think that this is probably, you know, aside from festivals that are requesting screeners, which is happening, Mm -hmm. um, we're not really applying to any more festivals. So this might be... This Mm -hmm. could be the last hurrah, Mm -hmm. which would be amazing, honestly, you know, like ending on a really strong note. Because as you know, the festival circuit's kind of like a a crapshoot, you know, like it's very Russian roulette on what you're going to end up with. And how are you using the festival? Like the festival's using you, right? Like they're playing your film and they're bringing money in and they're shelling you around or showing you around and be like, look at these lovely filmmakers. But how are you using them? I'd say we're using it to promote the the Bay Area aspect of the film and the and just represent and it's really nice to have it be potentially the last hurrah, just given that we premiered at Cinecos, which is like hometown adjacent to where we made the film. And then to have the potential end of our festival run also be adjacent to the Bay Area is a really nice way to just like keep that through line of, you know, it being like a Bay Area indie film. To piggyback on that, though, like we're using this festival because there is so much industry here that we do not have in the Bay Area. Yeah, um, We don't have like sales agents and distribution and all this stuff that like all the other filmmakers here who the ones in, that are in the artist in residency program are all either LA or New York based. So a lot of them are coming with this, like this entire industry that we don't have, right? Like in the Bay, we can make a film from a lot of the conversations, even though like making films is like, it's hard. Is, it's it, hard. is it hard? Yeah. It's like, and you know, <laughs> you come out with all these war wounds and then you want to do it again for some bizarre reason. But making a movie is a lot easier in the Bay area based on the conversations we've had with everybody else. And then once you have a finished, complete, beautiful movie, everything gets harder in the Bay because mm. there's no industry support. So we are definitely like the artist in residency program is helping a lot with that, you know, just making some really meaningful and meaningful, you know, like deep actual connections with people who might help us out. Yeah. And the I would say our peers have been, you know, just as like valuable in terms of their like their knowledge and their insight as our um, like as our keynote speakers and our panelists, like everyone just brings such a wealth of knowledge that we can all benefit from sharing with each other. It's amazing. The Artists in Residency program, did you apply to that specifically or was that something that you were invited to? We were invited to it. Wow. After just applying to the film festival with the movie? Yeah. I, we didn't, I didn't even wow. know it was a thing, that it existed. Um, I only found out it was a thing when you found out it was a thing. <laughs> and then I found out I wasn't invited. <laughs> I just wanted to mention <laughs> how cool it is that they got invited because I'm also playing the festival and I was not invited. So it is like this really coveted special (laughs) invitation, which is really badass that you guys are a part of it. Yeah, it's been cool. Very humbling. Yeah. What are the other filmmakers in your program look like? Are they all um, like what kind of genre of, of films are they making? So there sci-fi, action, comedy, like what, what kind of movies are they coming with into this program? So the residency is comprised of 
both narrative feature and documentary feature filmmakers. I think there's eight of us in each group. And yeah, the sci-fi and like more genre uh, kind of films even cross over in the documentary. Like there's one called I Am Human, which is all about neuroscience and sort of modern cyborgs who are using like brain interface technology to like help them navigate diseases, which is like, and that's sort of the way that the filmmakers are pitching it, which is really interesting. Just hearing the way that they pitch documentaries in, in different genres has been interesting. So yeah, there's definitely, I would say the the narrative category is, on the more on the dramatic side but yeah it's across the board very diverse you know yeah. in age and in ethnicity there's like they're just kind okay. they just yeah. seem like kind other the one the filmmakers i met just seem like kind yeah they are humans. everyone mm-hmm. feels very yeah everyone's very deserving of being here yeah kind you were humble. saying that you know you're uh you want to connect with industry you know you create industry relationships because you're here can you talk a little bit about the distribution of this film and your plans is that sound something we can chat about sure <laughs> <laughs> she looks skeptical me. <laughs> you want to try to kick that off? Oh, sure. I mean, that sort of going back to what we were speaking about earlier and trying to use this festival as another springboard to just like generating buzz and excitement about the film. And, you know, through the residency program, we've been able to talk to like a lot of panelists who have, you know, experience with development and distribution. And so it's been a great opportunity to pick their brains. I mean, the plan has always been straight to streaming. So here we're just, you know, making those kinds of connections that that could potentially be fruitful in terms of people who know people or who like want to see the film and you know show it to people who could you know be of assistance to us in getting it distributed but like what's the strategy is it like you go in you see someone you look at their name tag it says hbo or whatever and then you're like fuck i'm gonna say something really funny in front of that person and then i'm gonna get their email address or is it like like how do you are is it a conscious effort every time you talk to someone in order to create these relationships i would say so but i think it's the conscience or the intention is always, at least for me, to just be really genuine. You've already met, you sat next to me <laughs> at dinner last night. You know that I cannot like put a filter on to like meet industry people. But that's the charm, right? Yeah. I just like spl- blurt out whatever the fuck happens inside my head. And some people take to that, which mm-hmm. is kind of cool. But I haven't like singled out anyone. I mean, I feel like the people that I've met here are the people that I've been drawn to their personalities more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't actually singled anyone out and I'm fucking so bad at that shit. You know, it's I was terrifying. in the room twice with Kevin Bacon and both times didn't say hi. Once made eye contact and smiled and nodded. Yeah. <laughs> I heard he was here and all I could think about was his role. And I think it's object of my affection it's like where he plays like the hugh grant bridget jones role where he's like the hot asshole and all i could think of this is like such a pointless comment but i just That's kept the picture, role you but picked <laughs> just, so many other roles and i'm not even positive it's object of my affection but i just kept thinking like because i didn't get to see him so i was just like is he in a room with like a popped collar with his hair showing his, like chester showing like <laughs> is that what he's like <laughs> okay so in terms of just networking do you try to meet a certain number of people every every meeting, every dinner, every party? Do you have a quota? No, not at all. No. You just see what happens. Yeah. Just see what so happens. Healthy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good idea. This morning, I'm like really tired, you know, so I'm probably going to try hard to meet a lot less people. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'll just get even more tired with every person that you meet. It's true. It's really exhausting, you know, mm-hmm. and even so, even, I mean... Not that it's not delightful. It's delightful to meet people and it's still just exhausting, you know, to put yourself out there. 
Is there anything you want to say to your audience? Pretend like we're just finishing the screening of Bring Me an Avocado. And there's all these things that we're not really allowed to say because we have the Q&A. We don't really get a platform or soapbox to stand on. But after people see your film, what what do you want to impart to them? And what do you want to communicate to them? Like with the message of the film? Or, yeah, or like, what do you want them to do? Or, or how? Let's do with the message of the film. I think that's a healthy start. I mean, for me, more than anything, I, I made it for people who have gone through a very specific type of grief, mm-hmm. right? Like grieving for somebody who's still on this planet. So mm-hmm. it's like this suspended grief. First of all, because it was really cathartic to make for me. But I made it so those people could see that on screen as well, you know, because it's not something that's yeah. always portrayed. And I think the best part for me about the festival run and showing it publicly, because this is a film that's most likely going to go straight to streaming, has been having people approach me after every screening who want to like share a story, you know, something yeah. that has happened similar to them, that they can relate to that suppressed grief, you know, where you're not entirely sure if you're allowed to express it, you know, and it just bursts out of you at different times and in awkward ways. Do you tell people when you show the film that it's it sounds like it's a personal story, like that it's that you drew from life? Do you say that or do you let the film speak for itself or how do you approach that? That usually comes out when they ask me like what inspired it. Yeah. You know, during QA, it's a pretty common question. Right. Um, how it started. So and then I'll you usually have to, share like, a little bit of your that. guts in totally. this like five second yeah, QA. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I yeah. just grab my rib cage and like <laughs> <laughs> just tear it open, you know, so that people can see everything inside. <laughs> All the moths. <laughs> <laughs> and then Bianca, what, what do you want to communicate to the audience that you can't like either before or after they see the film? I think for me it's sort of the same thing that you know drew me to being a part of the project in the first place and that it's an opportunity for people to see an experience that they don't normally see in film and to be able to like connect to that and yeah like Maria said it's been really humbling and touching to have people like come up and express that they feel like a resonance and a connection with like the characters in this situation that they're in and it's it's just sort of you know reminds us why we do this and why we want to tell stories like that so yeah i'd say as long as you know people continue to feel the movie that they feel more seen and heard through the film i guess i had a question about the film festival plan like because you mentioned that you might still be um applying to international film festivals is that right Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So are you basically going to wait to do your release until after that happens or how how do, what's your strategy? I mean, we're still we're going to work on it simultaneously, I think. You guys both keep asking using the word strategy and I'd like <laughs> to be really transparent in that there is none. Well, no, there okay, is but that's, no strategy. Well, it, we are it just It seems like you guys it. do have a strategy <laughs> though, based from looking on Instagram and Twitter, yeah, you know, it feels but like I'm posting those are, like from together. the fetal position in my living room. <laughs> you been using that phrase, fetal position in your living room. It's, it's kind like, of a staple of my oh, so yeah. that It's like that sounds super accurate. I like, lay on the floor a lot. She does. Usually, like, by the table. Every so often, my <laughs> husband comes in and, you know, he's like, all right. Here we are. Yeah. But I just think like strategy is like, ground. it's always like over, over talking, right? It's like strategy is anything. Strategy is like, did I write a note down saying I'm going to apply to a French film festival? Yeah. I mean, there's just this, there's this huge gap right now for us, you know, where we have like the finished film. We want to, we know that it's best for it to go straight to streaming. We've considered doing like smaller, like one-on-one smaller releases, like theatrical with very boutique little 
cinemas, but there's, we don't know how that release is going to happen. We don't have like connections, you know, or anybody that's going to get us there to that place. Haven't met a distributor, haven't reached out to any. All I have working for me is a very sharp bullshit detector. So I've said no to a lot of sales <laughs> agents who have reached out that seemed kind of shady. Oh yeah. Because the doing majority research. of them are. Uh, exactly. A hundred percent. But we, other than that, like nothing's really shaped up for us yet, which I mean, hopefully will happen, but I don't know how to make that happen. <laughs> and I know Arika's follow-up questions, but I just want to take a second. Let's do a secret. Let's do a, let's like a stupid vision board just for this one second. Just say exactly what you want to happen instead of admitting that nothing has happened so far. Okay. Say, say, just say it and then I know we'll have follow-up. <laughs> so what do you want to happen? What's going to happen? We're going to find the right distributor for this film. We're going to make our money back and pay back the people who invested in the film and get it in front of more people. I mean, I think, you know, to Maria's point about like, you know, the bullshit detector, a lot of it is it's like, yes, we obviously want it out in the world, but it's so much of it is like the matchmaking process of like finding the people who are really going to champion the film that, you know, we've already been doing like so much like promotion of the film ourselves. So like finding people who believe in the film enough that they're going to be on that part of the journey with us. And yeah, in a lot of ways, we're just as like Maria was kind of alluding to, we're kind of like figuring out the strategy because it's like there's so many things that we still don't know that we don't know in terms of the whole distribution game and that's what's been another thing that's been really valuable about being in the residency just kind of like learning more of those things that we didn't know before that can inform how we approach things going forward i just know i feel like i keep cutting Ulrich off so i know he wants to say stuff yeah so what i was gonna say was like well first question marie and i talked uh off mic uh, a few months ago about afm and that was last weekend did you guys end up going to afm at all nay (laughs) Um, is it because of the bullshit detector yeah i mean our executive producer one of our executive producers was gonna go there anyway so he asked me for like a one sheet and a pitch deck and I had the pitch deck. So I sent him that and then I made a one sheet overnight and on off hours and hope that that helped. <laughs> <laughs> but no news from AFM. They didn't have any success selling no. it necessarily. And then did you have you been reaching out to distributors directly at all in this time? Not yet. But there was a plan uh, to and I there is a short list, which was exciting <laughs> to hear. Yeah, there's a short list that we might reach out to. We just want to make sure that we're doing it right. You know, it's just one of those you get one shot at that. Or maybe you don't. Maybe you're supposed to email them 25 times. Who knows? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so no. Yeah, uh, tell get us one shot is. Back tell to the person. <laughs> one shot. And then uh, we, we talked to a filmmaker who, I don't think the episode is out yet. Indie Rights was a company that he worked with, and they sound pretty awesome. So you might want to look into them if you haven't already. It was Tom Huang, um, yeah. right? And Find Me, the film Find Me. Yeah, they, they seem pretty legit. Yeah, it just seemed like a good company. You know, they're selective. They don't take everything. But uh, that's one that I've heard from, not just from Tom, but from, from some other filmmakers that they're a pretty good one to go. If you want to like go just to streaming and try to like get to as many different platforms as, as you can without doing it yourself, basically. But I don't want to, and I, I, we have been hearing a lot of great things about indie rights, but I always am very nervous and hesitant to endorse a company without being right. like a client, right? So it's like, <laughs> I've heard the same thing about indie rights. People, people constantly are like, oh, I really like working with indie rights. But then it's... That, that they have their children in a basement somewhere. <laughs> it's like, it's like my my red flag is like, oh, what's going on? Because if things are so hard for everyone, is it just that our standards have changed and we're just excited that it's a distributor that is talking to us and being honest and like trying to do something with our films? Or is there something I'm missing? And so I'm sorry if Linda's listening to this and I'm 
shitting all over her company. I'm sure she's a fabulous <laughs> company. I just always I want to hedge our bets with endorsing a, a right. distributor. Yeah, totally. Okay, and so now that for the really selfish question. So <laughs> I have a five year old character in my movie. And originally we were planning to like age that character up to like eight or nine just to make things easier. But then my lead actor has two daughters. And so she offered to see if one of her daughters wanted to be in the movie. And so I'm meeting with her eldest daughter, who's five today, to like do an on-camera test and like sort of see how she does on camera. So I know, Maria, you have tons of experience working with kids in film. So... Any advice for me? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. I mean, give her drastic different notes, make her do different things, you know, that to see that she can take notes. And I would say more importantly, hang out with the kid. Just hang out with the kid for a bit to see what their personality is like, what their temper is like. If it sounds like this kid isn't like a professional actor, you know, which obviously at the young age of five, you can only have that big of a resume. <laughs> a lot of it is just personality baby, for a kid. You know? Photo shoots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's personality, tolerance, resilience. Is that Do dangerous though? Doing... Working with your leads kid as an audition? I mean, I think that there's like benefits to it. Well, what if you hate this kid, Ulrich? It's it's definitely not like a for sure thing. You know, we're just we're just trying it out to see how how it works. But like you should plan out a really complimentary rejection. That kid's <laughs> too cute. Too cute for this film. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're not well, like... But both her daughters look really like they fit the part perfectly. The, the thing is that the eldest matches the the lead actor a little bit better because uh, the, the features just seem like it could be more likely that this is their daughter so that's why i feel like that's a good choice but i mean i don't think yeah we me and the actor get along really well so i can't imagine that if it didn't work out that she would be hurt over it <laughs> but yes i would be very delicate of course if if we had to go that direction but it's also it might the you know this kid might not like it or might not have fun like i think it's all about trying to see if this is a good fit you know for on both sides yeah absolutely um, and, and I kind of felt like if I set up a camera in one lo- small light and like had them kind of do a scene together, and I'm not going to give the five year old lines to memorize. At least I, that's, mean, I just some didn't kids think that, do. that was like a my good idea. Poppy was six in our movie, and she memorized all her lines. She had a lot of lines. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, so you, do you kids think can do giving that. her a script is a good idea? I mean, it's up to you. If it, if it serves the movie, I wouldn't, you know. I wouldn't like be discouraged of doing that because you're scared that, you know, you're not going to find a kid who can pull it off. Those kids are out right. there for sure. You know, did you, did you, were your, uh, were the kids in your movie, were they actor kids or were they just kid kids? This was, they were regular human children, not, not, <laughs> not acting machine children. Not acting machine children, right? No, Which is like what children. I want to avoid because I feel like acting machine children just you can tell, yeah. you know. And um, my favorite movies, you could tell that the kid was just a kid that they got to be in the movie, and they just seem really natural, you know, because they're a kid. All right, just so you know, we're bringing in the filmmakers from My Beautiful Stutter as well, just to have like cute, okay, okay. A, cute a meet cute, like an awkward meet sure. cute, like I like them, um, and a nice overlap, and then we'll transition sure. to that film. Is there anything you want to okay. ask all four of the people in this room right now about Napa or filmmaking? Ulrich, our co-host, is in Oakland right now, and so he very kindly woke up early in the midst of pre-production for his 
his feature to do this recording with us. And so we want to make sure. Sure. I guess uh, for a filmmaker who is thinking about applying to film festivals and very wary of film festivals because there's so many and like you never know what's a good one, what's a bad one. Like what would you say about Napa Valley to a filmmaker who doesn't know anything about the film festival? This has been a really lovely experience. I mean, I've been making films and going to festivals for 12, 13 years and the the level of care for the filmmaker, the lev- level of care for the experience that everyone has, whether you're a filmmaker or a community member who loves the festival. I've, I've just never participated in anything like it. So I'm certainly worth the entry fee if I'm speaking to other filmmakers. Oh my God, for sure. Best festival ever. So much out of it. So well organized. So there's such great communicators, which you know, is a thing at festivals. So yeah, I would definitely encourage people to apply here. Have any of your films screened yet? All of our films have screened, I think, at this point, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, we have So our... what were the screenings like? What were the audience sizes like? What was the experience of the screening like? I mean, we had pretty full screenings. Like yesterday's screening was packed. On opening night, we there was like, including the opening night film, there was, I think, seven films playing at the same time, like a lot of films. And even then we still had like, I think, 70% of a full room, which is, I think is great. You know? oh, wow. I, we've screened to like 12 people before at festivals. So yeah, 70% I'll take. Nice. So Liz, this is definitely different than your experience at the unnamed film yeah, festival. Yeah, the one that, that I keep shitting on. Uh, it, it is. It's a <laughs> Napa's a great festival. <laughs> Let's awkwardly say goodbye to Bianca and Maria, just because I know they have to get over to their screening, but I just want to make sure we plug their film, Bring Me an Avocado, and also just talk about how they're just like fucking fantastic humans. So <laughs> is there anything you guys want to say before you depart and I really awkwardly kick you out of this room aside from the kicking out part we think you're pretty great too (laughs) (laughs) yes it's wonderful to finally meet Liz in person and yeah it's been yeah it's just great to be you know it's just great to be here yeah please follow us on all the social medias yes Instagram Twitter Facebook where should people go if they want to see more about bring me an avocado do you have a trailer yeah sh- give all the shout outs at yeah. bring me an avocado on pretty much every platform except facebook which is slash bring me an avocado <laughs> <laughs> nice the trailer's on everything and then bring me an avocado.com of course for website press all that stuff thank you so much for Thanks having so us much. yes thank you yeah, this is awesome all right we are transitioning from one film to another it is nice awkward, to meet right? you all <laughs> How could I have made that better? I could have very easily made that better. And I did it. (laughs) No, Liz, you did great. Thank you. Nice to meet you all. So we have the filmmakers. And thank you so much again. Bye, guys. We have the filmmakers from My Beautiful Stutter. And we'd love them to just say a little bit about themselves and the film as we get into talking about being at Napa. So, Ryan, you want to start? Yeah. So My Beautiful Stutter is uh, the story of five young people from all over the country, from all walks of life, all of whom suffer with various severities of a stutter. And it tracks their journey over the course of two years, going from being tormented, bullied, stigmatized, ostracized, often by the very people you would look to to protect you if you were bullied. So parents, teachers, administrators, popular media, popular culture, it tracks their journey from from kind of being pushed aside and, and silenced by those forces to going through a pretty revolutionary program for people who stutter that's focused almost exclusively on loving your stutter and mm. loving yourself mm. and pushing back through demanding to be heard. And the program is called Say, it's the Stuttering Association for the Young. And as we track the two-year journey, what we see, Michael likes to use the expression from bullied to bravery, 
we see these young people come out of their shells and sort of own their right to be heard. And it's a really extraordinary journey that we think doesn't just have to apply to stuttering. Yeah. And um, Ryan, what's your role in the film, just for everyone to hear? Oh, sure. I'm Ryan Geelan. I'm the producer and director. And Michael? I'm Michael Alden, and I'm the producer. Fabulous. A producer. One of the producers. And just to give you guys a primer really quickly, and then I'll let you talk, Ulrich, so sorry. There's like a slight delay, and I keep cutting Ulrich off. Just uh, for clarity's sake, is um, is this film a documentary or a uh, narrative uh, feature? Feature-length documentary. Oh, okay, documentary. Nice. Talk to us about where you are in the process. Like, is this like the beginning of your festival run? Are you premiering at Napa? Like, how long has the movie been out in the world? This is the end of our festival run, and it literally, like we mentioned a few minutes ago, that the Napa Valley Film Festival is an incredible experience. You could not have asked for a better sort of end to the festival run than. And we were not bribed. Just again, like yeah. we've been saying this for the past half hour. I just want to be clear: no, no. one bribed us. Well, the well, wine helped. <laughs> Yeah, we're a little then, we, we're a little weepy today. <laughs> are are you guys uh, part of any artists in residency program, or are you just um, selections of the film festival? Just selections of the film festival. But we had a, a really extraordinary start to the festival. We were honored to be selected as the Inspire screening for the festival. So we the film played before the festival started. The film played for two days for about fifteen hundred middle and high school students from all around Napa, and in those. You know, a typical film festival Q&A, you're on stage for 10 minutes, it's a little awkward, you leave, but it's cool, it's fine. But for these Inspire screenings, one of the things that was so special is we were up there for 45 minutes to an hour taking 20, 30, 40 questions from young people from this area, middle, high school. Some of them shared their own stories about being bullied and what they hoped that the film could do for for other young people who have been bullied. Met very few people who stuttered, but I think that's par for the course. I think when you stutter... Part of your experience is not being, talking. Exactly. Yeah. Being mm. silent, pulling back. But I know that they were in the room. So I think it was powerful for them. And I think it was powerful for their peers to think about the times that they've just ignored the kid who's quiet in the back of the classroom. Anyway. But yeah. Well, and also, as Ryan said earlier, it transcends stuttering. And, you know, kids really got up and really got in touch with how they either have been treated or have treated other people because that person's a little bit different. And what I discovered during the journey here in Napa is the importance of the word and, that these children are great students, you know, good speakers when they do speak, uh, prolific writers, good singers, and they stutter. And we all have an and. And I think that It's we, not a but, right? No, and. It's and. and right. I stutter. And, and I think it's just amazing that these kids were brave enough to get up and talk about their and. That's fantastic. Just to... Uh, bring the two conversations together and and we'll introduce our new our new guest as well. We're talking a little bit also about the festival experience. I always like to remind filmmakers, remind ourselves that festivals are using us, right? So how are we using the festival too? We're having like a badass time, which is like the eighth time I've said badass in the past hour um, at Napa. But <laughs> how, how are you using the festival for your release, for your audience building, for your rollout? And then um, also let's introduce the producer to another producer. To no, the f- one oh, of our fuck. cast members. One of our cast members. I'm so sorry. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Sarah. Fabulous. Thanks for being here, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hi, Sarah. Hi. (laughs) We have have a a, a 
phantom uh, co-host in Oakland. Oh, <laughs> he's he's like the Charlie to our angels. Oh, that's what we we're calling him. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe all three of you can talk about how you're using the festival to grow your audience, but also like how you're using it emotionally. Like, what are you getting out of it? Well, I, I've been talking a lot. I'd like to hear from Sarah, like what this experience has been like and what you hope comes out of it. Um, this has been a really crazy adventure. I think it's really um, fun to see something that you guys obviously worked so hard on and then that I was in for this whole process and kind of see it come to life. And it's really rewarding to see how much people really are enjoying it and like everyone's takeaways after they even leave the theater. It's so fantastic. And I love that you came and that you were willing to like travel and be a part of the whole thing. The one thing that the festival, this festival specifically, but in festivals can do is it, it informs us. It informs us. I mean, we find uh, audience reactions that we weren't expecting. I mean, in one of our first screenings at another festival, we had a speech pathologist stand up and she said, I've been treating children who stutter for 15 years and I've never once asked one how they felt. Mm. And for us, that that is, you know, that's the cherry and the ice cream sundae of all the work, you know, yeah. to, to to have to know that we've made that kind of a difference in the community. Yeah, uh, and it also extends our reach because we realize that it isn't just about parents and teachers of children who stutter. It's not just about children who stutter. It's about everybody and their and. Yeah. Sarah, how did you get involved with the film? I'd love, I'd, I'm just excited that you're here and now I'm like honing in on you. So I apologize for that. Yeah, no, you're good. I'm excited to, to be here. I got involved, well, um, gosh, uh, 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 Taro, the founder of Psych, called me on the phone one day. I was like uh, driving and then he's like, hey, do you want to be in a movie? I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I, I want to be in a movie. And then I met with. Uh, the crew with Ryan and yeah and we started from there that's awesome I wish it were that easy yeah <laughs> I'll, I'll just add so Sarah so one of the ways that we found the people we wanted to focus on was in communication with Tarot and through the process of just filming a ton we really started to hone in on people who had diverse journeys but also mm-hmm. people who could articulate their own journey well and if you see the film, you see Sarah's hilarious and candid and outgoing. And it's just like, as a documentary filmmaker, you just die to have a subject who can do that for you. You know, it's just very easy to show up with a camera and Sarah goes. <laughs> and what, and Taro Alexander's the, the founder of the Stuttering Association for the Young. And as uh, Ryan had said earlier, the entire focus is to embrace your stutter and mm. to have you be a whole person. And a whole person who stutters. Yeah. And that it's all A-OK. Not and, fight against it, right? And he's he's an amazing human being. And he is tireless mm. in re- outreach. And, and when we, we, they do a summer camp, and I mean, I Ryan was there the whole time. I was there for a few days. And you see dozens and dozens and dozens of kids, some of whom have never met another child who stutters, actually yeah. being in a place where everybody's just like me. Mm. I love that. I know Ulrich was about to jump in with a question. Go for it, Ulrich. So I'm just curious, like, what your process was. Like, once you found your subjects, how did you approach the interview? Like, did you just set up a camera, invite them over, and then, like, meet them on camera? Or do you do more of the style where you sit down and do a pre-interview and talk over what you're going to do and and approach it more that way? My pre-interview process was kind of mapping out where I thought the participants might be in their own personal journeys. 
and giving a lot of thought to what the activity that whatever activity say had prepared for that day or that week or at camp, whatever that might be trying to elicit from the young people, you're the young person participating in it. You kind of find where those two things are married and, and ask about the journey that way. So at camp, there's an evening where the whole point of the evening is you've spent the whole day with a mentor who's also a camper, an older camper, and then you go up and recite a poem that you wrote together or say a few words about how your day was. And the victory in that moment is just having a young person who stutters, who may not speak at all at home, in school, may not think they're they're worthy of being heard in those environments, step out in front of a, a big group and say a few words. So going into something like that, you know, one, you have the individual's journey, and two, you have the point of the exercise. And just kind of ask how that is playing out for the young person. Like that, that sort of pre, that sort of preparation always helped. And then I came of age and, and fell in love with rock docs from the 70s. So I, I shoot really verite. So that was my style. And I think it fit this film because going to this film, I wanted to show these young people as rock stars. I didn't want to show them as like, I'm, I'm watching a social experiment from a distance. You know, I didn't want to show up, put a camera in the audience and just see what happens. I wanted to be in their lives as if they were rock stars because they were to me. I love it. I'm sure you've asked this all the time, but what is your personal connection to, to stuttering? So when I went to the gal, Michael took me to the state gala in 2014, said, you have to see this. We should probably make a movie about it. A few minutes in, a 10-year-old comes out on stage, says a few words, come to find out he thought about taking his own life because of how severe the bullying was. What he felt, I don't think as a 10-year-old I ever contemplated suicide, but I was overweight. And the bullying, the relentless bullying for that my entire life led, led to me at 10 years old having a breakdown, screaming at my class, screaming at my teachers. Mm-hmm. And when I went to... You've heard this story 80 times. Sorry. But <laughs> when I went to the guidance counselor immediately afterwards, laid out what happened, laid out how hurt I was. Her response was, have you tried eating fruits and vegetables? Not are you okay? Ugh. Not what have teachers, administrators, parents, anyone else done about this? But could you stop fucking this up? <laughs> to me at 10. What, what I saw in that 10-year-old who came out on stage, what, what it triggered in me, and I was never able to articulate this until a few weeks ago, and thinking about what I wanted to say to the middle and high schoolers that we were going to sit across from, whether I wanted to like really articulate this and, and reveal it. What I related to in that 10-year-old was the power of, for the first time, saying, fuck it, I'm worth being heard. I'm worth more than this. And it, you know, over the course of five years of making this film, four and a half, five years now, that's become clear to me that that is what really the engine was. But, but to really drill it down, it was just empathy. Knowing that with my camera, with my team, with people that I love to work with that have giant hearts that want to make the world a little better, a little more empathetic, that we could help that, that 10-year-old and other 10-year-olds like him. Mm. But I couldn't articulate it then. Then it was just empathy. It was like, I have to do something to help. Well, it's obviously so deep down that it emerged out of this process. But yeah, that that was what was drawing you to the storyline. It was tugging at you this whole time, it sounds like. And then that's fantastic. Did Can you talk a little well, about I, your experience? I feel for me, I, I got involved. I have the stage rights to the King's Speech. So the play that the movie was based on. And Taro Alexander reached out to me after our production in London and asked if I would invite our author, uh, David Seidler, to come and be honored along with Carly Simon at their annual gala. These galas are rocking. I mean, they are they are incredible. And uh, David agreed, and I went with him. And same experience. Young boy came out and 
took quite a long time to say good evening and to welcome us, and I was just on the floor. I was in tears, not because he was struggling, because he was so brave. And for me, it was, I wish when I was 10 years old and I was being bullied for the things I was being bullied for, that I could have been that brave, you know, and and I just wanted to honor that and also educate, going back to the speech therapist. Uh, We are surprised every day with people's like, a woman a couple of days ago came up to us and said, she was probably in her 60s, and she said, you changed my life. I wish I had seen this 40 years ago. I'm a terrible person. And, you know, and I said, no, you're not. There's and still time her. to change. There's still time. <laughs> but I mean, she obviously got, we poked her in ways that she hadn't thought about in years about how she treated other people. And she was in overwhelm at the end. And so I felt that in the room at the Say Gala and just was so, it was serendipitous that I just met Ryan just before that, and he's done a great job in bringing this to life and bringing it to you. So really quickly, was it Taro that kind of started the idea of doing this documentary and then kind of you brought Ryan into it? Is that kind of how it happened? No, we actually, I actually asked Taro if we could make a film, you know, about with, you know, using the kids at Say, and he said no, (laughs) a few times. Yeah, because, wow. well, because, I mean, going back to, you know, we can talk about uh, Ryan's style, we can talk about how I produce shows, but you're also going into a very sensitive room where children are discovering themselves, many for the first time, of who they are and what their future is going to hold. And we were talking about bringing a camera crew in and shoving it in their face while they were going through it. And I give it to Ryan that he just consistently kept asking Tara and reminding Tara that it would be a very safe room. And we were told over and over, you know, even like the E Street Band, who donates Everett, uh, donates their time and, and musical talent to say that they forgot we were in the room, that he was so just, we were in small recording rooms, no bigger than this room, with eight or nine players. And they didn't see him. Well, Sarah, how did you feel? About having the camera there, did, it, did you forget that it was there? Yeah, I, I definitely f- I forgot that it was there. It was this good balance between feeling like I didn't know they were there at all. It's also f- feeling like I couldn't be myself because there was this camera in my face. And I think, yeah, yeah they really did a, a good job of finding that balance. It was fun. Well, after hearing Ryan's story, mm-hmm. I'm like, put a camera in my face. Like, yeah, that was fun. <laughs> like, it's very trusting. That's wonderful. He's actually filming you now. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> Live stream. So h- how did you convince Taro then? Like you said, it was a year of asking and asking. And, well, you know, obviously a very vulnerable thing. Like, But what was it? What was the thing that got him to agree to let you guys do this? I, honestly, I think he had a contact at HBO and he was hoping that HBO would make make a film. And I think he found out officially that it just wasn't going to happen. And I had been pestering him for a year. And he was like, all right, fuck it. Like, we'll give this other guy a shot. <laughs> to be completely candid. He, like, was, he was waiting for the A the A team. And then you're the B team over here. And yeah. eventually he was but like. The secret A team. Yeah. 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 yeah but but it, what proved is that you were actually the A team. He just didn't realize it. Thank you, Ulrich. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, man. Um, so curious. I was just looking at your website. It says that Paul Rudd is an executive producer. I'm just curious about that. How did that come about? What does that mean? <laughs> what kind of involvement? Do you, is it just something you can put on the poster? Talk to us about that. Yeah, he was in a play on Broadway where he played a, a father who stuttered, who had hid that stutter for his entire life and replaced it with anger. And his family, his kids had grown up this is my understanding, they had grown up knowing him as just an angry person, not knowing that he stuttered. It was a really complex, rich role. And I think in doing that, 
either he reached out to Tara or Tara reached out to him, but they connected in New York while Paul was working on that. He piece. asked Tara to coach him. Yeah. 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 And so they developed a really strong friendship. This was probably 10, 12 years ago. And Paul became an ambassador, a spokesperson for Say, and always and has been since then. He does an amazing uh, bowling event for them every year that raises hundreds of thousands of dollars in New York City. So as soon as I had a rough cut, I sent it to Paul and said, it would really help this small independent film that can change a lot of lives if you would put your name on it and help us get it out to the world. And he, to his credit, was just like, absolutely, this is great. That's amazing that you explicitly said that. I feel like as filmmakers, we're always afraid of saying transparently, like, please use your fame for this good cause. There's always this other pathway. Will you mentor this project? Or, what? you know, I don't know. There's different ways to kind of posit Mm. the argument. But I love that you just put it on the table and said, like, you will help us. That will be very impactful. I I think that especially in the industry, especially with so many options as far as distribution, and how we can reach audiences that you have to be direct. I mean, yeah. I, I mean I'm a commercial producer. That's what I do. And you know, when I'll talk to an agent, let's say about an actor who has fame, they say, "Well, are you funded?" you know? Well, right. no. Well, are you going to use my client to raise money? Of course. Otherwise, I'd be hiring my mother. You know? And it's, right, but we have to pretend like it's about the artistry 100%. No, I don't. I don't. I just say, I of course, great. of course. I'm, I'm, I do a lot of theater, and they'll say, "Well, you know, my 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 client's going to sell you a lot of tickets." I said, "Great, I'll pay him five dollars a week, and I'll give him ten percent of the box office." Oh, well, we can't do that. I said, "Well, you said they're going to sell the tickets." Can you talk a little bit about the distribution for the film and your plans um, to connect it to audiences? Sure, sure. And and I just wanted to mention also. Wait, wait. Before you answer that question, I'm sorry. <laughs> you said. Uh, I just emailed Paul. Did you, did you have his personal email, or did you go through Tarot? Like, how did we're that not allowed to happen? say. Yeah. Oh yeah, I think we're asking for the email. Just, yes. My advice. It's like, my advice. To you know, other you hear, people say that kind of stuff on podcasts all the time. But like, oh, I just emailed him. But I mean, I feel like it, it's good to get some clarity. So if you can't say, that's fine. But I mean, if you had a personal connection or whatever, I don't know. Well, your your question ties into what I was jumping in to say too. I think it, we're thinking along similar lines in terms of advice to other filmmakers. If you are able to reach out to anyone, their representation, their cousin, through IMDb, IMDb Pro, through LinkedIn, people read what you send them. So if you're able to reach out in advance and say, I'm a filmmaker, I think I can change the world, I'm not some crazy person with a handicam, but I've actually done a couple things, or here's a sizzle reel of the stuff I've shot so far, I need five minutes with your client, people will read what you send them and they'll click on that link. So my advice to other filmmakers would be to do a lot of work in advance, right? Get as far as you think you can so that you're taken seriously and then make the cold outreach. If you have links that you can go through, that's great. I would do that too. But if not, I would make the cold outreach and I wouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. I wouldn't say, I'm going to send this to Tom Cruise and if I don't hear back, I'm a failure and it's over. I would make a list of the top 25 or 30 people that could really help me. And I would send the same outreach to every one of them. And if all those passed, I'd do it again. But also to look at the person you're sending it to and how they relate to your, what you're doing, yes. you know, what you're yeah. creating. So Paul obviously, you know, had his heartstrings pulled by the relationship with Taro and his involvement with Say. And our other exec producer, George Springer, is a man who stutters. Mm. You know, and he also brings us into the machisto of the sports world, which was really important to me. I, mean, I really wanted him to say yes, because it extends our, our reach past the theater arts right. association and puts us into a world where you think that people that are in plays and in say, don't speak to each other. Can you imagine being on a sports team? Right. I love the point about mentioning the why, right? The why isn't, to, to the point you made, the why isn't your client 
Tom Cruise can really help me get this out into the world. The why is if Tom Cruise loves whales and you're making a documentary about saving whales, you have to put that in there. You have to really make it clear that you didn't just make a list of the top 25 celebrities who might say yes because they're cool or they would bring you the most eyeballs. You made a list of the 25 people that have done fundraisers for Save the Whales before. Who would be interested in this project? Yeah. You've done your due diligence. Well, let's close out with talking about distribution and, and, and your release plans, if that's all right. And if we have time, I have one more question, but we'll see what happens. Sure. So we, to bridge the gap between festivals and proper distribution with an actual distributor, we're working with Picture Motion. What? Picture Motion? <laughs> I've never heard of this company. Tell me more about your relationship with Picture Motion. Well, Liz, let me tell you a little <laughs> bit about Picture Motion. The top, the gold standard for impact campaigns for independent and studio films. I'm not sure if you know this, but they did the impact campaigns for Free Solo. What? For Won't You Be My Neighbor. I've never known that. And other major films. <laughs> to come out of the festival circuit. so, so. Uh, I work at Picture Motion, just so we all know <laughs> Full that. Full disclosure. I, I was, right. was going to say that if you didn't. <laughs> We're bordering on collusion. I'm <laughs> so we, we reached out to Picture Motion and wanted to partner with, with you all because we wanted to bridge the gap between our festivals and our actual, whatever our distribution turns into. And that's because we don't have, this film didn't come from a studio, didn't come from a, anybody with a partnership with a distributor. It's been independently financed. And when you independently finance, you have to go through festivals and then try to find a patchwork usually of distributors all over the world who put the film out there. So that's where we are now. After a really strong festival run, awards, great imagery from, you know, these amazing screenings, <laughs> amazing screenings, amazing Q and A's, you know, it's going to get a little bit easier, but we're still in the process of finding that. That's fantastic. Ulrich, any last questions? I, yeah. I don't think anything that's not going to derail us completely, <laughs> I mean, but you know, I mean, I guess the, the last question is like, what would you say to someone who is thinking about making a documentary about like a sensitive subject, but doesn't really know how to approach it? Like, what advice would you give? I would, I would be really upfront and honest about that and reach out to people who had expertise in that area. Because, you know, they say with filmmaking and small businesses, if you want advice, ask for money. If you want money, ask for advice. I, I would sit across from, if it's a super sensitive subject, XYZ, I would reach out to the leaders of XYZ, you know, nonprofits and say, hey, look, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know this is important. Mm -hmm. can, I, can I do a 15 minute informational interview with you to prepare a doc? I would start with those people because they're going to give you advice. But when you ask for advice, they're also going to say, if you do this, I got 10 people I could connect you to tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Let me know as soon as you do this. And then you're you're off and running. That would be my, my starting point. Because that shows empathy. It shows an awareness of what you don't know. And people don't see that as a weakness. They see that as a strength if you're willing to speak like that. So we have an expert in the room. So I, I just yeah. wanted to say, Sarah, because we have an audience here and through the, this podcast, do you want to talk a little bit about what you would encourage, how you would encourage people to engage with people who stutter? Yeah, I'm really glad that you brought that up. I think it's really, obviously, like it's important and it's a sensitive topic because I think people are always worried to say the wrong thing. And I think with people who stutter, it's just like, give them time, you know, like we just need an extra second or minute to like finish our thought. And I think just giving us that, that time to finish, you know, saying what we want to say. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. 
Thank you. Thank you for coming here. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you, Ulrich, for yeah. calling in from Oakland in the midst of Absolutely. all of your chaos. <laughs> Yeah. Um, anything you want to close this out with, Alric? No, just thanks to Napa Valley Film Festival for letting us do this. And thanks to you guys for being on the show, Sarah, Ryan. Really appreciate and it. And Michael, sorry. Yeah, it's okay. Fabulous. <laughs> sorry, Michael. I just want to be heard, okay? <laughs> say what you want to say. Exactly.